should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because we tried to make it by busking on New York subways, but people actually took our money instead. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Ben, who still thinks we can make it work if we just increase his Vuvuzela solos. Hmm. Battle it! If you walk into a British restaurant, by which I mean a, a, a restaurant serving whatever is British food, what are you ordering? Is it in America or in England? Let's say that no matter where it is, it serves everything like everything you would have had it at home. Imagine. Yeah, like, uh, like you would have had it at home. So the two things I miss from the UK that are like entrees, not mm-hmm. desserts, um, are fish and chips, mm-hmm. classically. You can get uh, that anywhere. We have that here. Not good. Oh, fine. No. Um, they have it in New York, but not like it's bad everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, what I would refer to as a Sunday roast. So it doesn't have to be on Sundays, but traditionally it is on Sundays. And it's either like roast beef, roast lamb, roast chicken with like goose fat, roast potatoes, you know, all the trimmings, like all the stuff you'd have for Thanksgiving. We basically have Thanksgiving on any <laughs> given Sunday. Like instead of football games, we just have Thanksgiving. I love that <laughs> because not long ago I was uh, watching a, a, a like a, I don't remember who did it, but it might have been like No Clip, which is a, a video game um, uh, YouTube channel that does documentaries. <laughs> and I think they were interviewing John Romero, who is one of the guys behind like Doom and a bunch of other, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. big franchises. And he lives in Ireland now. Okay. Um, oh, notably not the UK for all our Irish. I, I think I don't know what part of Ireland he's in, but you know, I'm saying. Well, food... people would argue that Northern Ireland also shouldn't be part <laughs> of the UK. Some people. I'm saying that food tastes are similar in the region, my friend. Is what I'm saying. Sure. Yes. yes. And he and he made the point during that interview that he was doing that, like in the US, we get like turkey. That's a Thanksgiving thing. Here, it's yeah. just lunch. Yeah, <laughs> dude, roast meats. Uh, like you, I, there are two things that I would think would be so much bigger here than they are. And I guess they kind of are like, there's a lot of like cold roast meats, like mm-hmm. deli meats, yeah. um, that like you can get cold cuts and stuff. But I think like hot roast meat is mm-hmm. big in the UK and it's not as big here as I think it sh- like I, as I thought it would be or that you, as I was expected to be. And the other thing that is huge in the UK that I think should be bigger here. And you've said this to me. Greg's like Greg's, Greg's. but like which not I've just never Greg's. had I've never had not just Greg's though but like savory pies mm-hmm. like meat yes. pies why why has America not done that I don't know America because, loves pies okay, when America I, <laughs> loves meat come on guys put your heads together let's figure this thing out when I texted you that I don't remember when that was it was a couple weeks ago I had literally just had like a homemade meat pie that yeah. someone had made it might have been when I was home for the holidays and I was like oh my this must be this must be what Greg's is like. This yeah, is amazing. I want it. Is, it is, yeah. But it's fucking handheld, which is incredible. <laughs> I can just the go The original in and Hot Pocket, yeah. Two pounds. It's a fucking good Hot Pocket with no <laughs> cheese. I mean, there's some, some of them have cheese in them. 
but I can get like a meat and gravy pastry that I can hold in my mm-hmm. hand for like one pound fifty. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that is fucking genius. Sounds great to me. Let's let's yeah. uh, let's get this franchise over here in the U.S. Let's started. do it. I'm let's gonna it. write to Mr. Greg. <laughs> Mr. Greg. Mr. Greg's is his father. He's just he just goes by Greg. Uh, Greg, Greg Greg's. <laughs> Let's be honest. If your last name is Greg's, you sort of have to name your child yeah, Greg. That's true. You don't really yeah, have yeah. an option. Yeah, uh, what well, about you? What do you? What oh, are you, me. What do you? Yeah, I guess. So you stole okay, mine because so, no, I was no, no, going to no, no, go on. with the meat pies. That, that yeah, I was sure. going to do. Okay, that no, no, but I want to. I want to flip it because obviously okay. you're a sac- sac- uh, Sacramento baby. Sacramento. Right? Yep. Yeah. Whatever. Um, you go into a Sacramento restaurant. <laughs> Or like a, a, a no-cal restaurant then, I guess. Okay. You know, like a, so, something that's Like a, an no-cal Alice food. Waters, Alice sure. Waters restaurant. What are you... I'm going to the your, French Laundry, yeah. What's your taste of home? Uh, taste of home for Sacramento. I mean, like, Sacramento has a very wide and diverse food scene. You know, being on the West Coast, we have a lot of immigrants from parts of Asia. So, like, there's a huge Filipino community in Sacramento. Uh, there's a big Vietnamese community, all sorts of these foods. Okay. Um, Shut up. If you were going okay. home, I respect to all of those. This is, this is the answer. This is the answer, Ben. I'll give if you the answer. If you were going home. The Mexican restaurant par- down the street from where I grew up. There we go. That's that's, that's what it is. Know. Yes. Okay. The Mexican restaurant down the street from you where I grew up. You were in town for one night. And that's your, that's yes, where you're going. And I'm okay. getting their chili reino because it's the best right. one anywhere. Nobody okay. does it right except for that restaurant because of course that's where I had it first as yeah, a child and that's, and that's the way problems. it should yeah. be forever and ever now on. Yes. Cool. That's exactly right. it. Good to know. Bad Benedict, uh, you probably know what it is that we do here on this program. Other folks, folks who have never enjoyed the bangers and mash, uh, mm. they might not know what it is that we do here. And then I would say is the show where we go a deep, a deep, deep, deep to plumb the depths of right-wing thought, we're reviewing a chapter from work of conservative literature, and in between, taking a look at those examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us off, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us this week? Yeah, it's more of a complaint um, they about are my, my own ales. Uh-huh. Uh, I've forgotten what it's like to be able to turn my head 90 degrees, because <laughs> I now can't do that, apparently. <laughs> I like looked at a wardrobe funny the other day at like a slight angle of my head and now I can't move my neck past here. Man, we're and just know... old. We're just old is what we are. <laughs> I know that podcast listeners can't see me doing this. But I, he literally it's can't like turn his 45 head. degrees from like where from center. <laughs> so I can't move past yeah. So anyway, if please if you're gonna attack me from behind, do it from the left hand <laughs> side. So that I can, that's my hot take. If, if anybody wants take. to see me in public, although I can't see out my left eye, so I probably still, I probably still have a better chance. Well, are my are right. you decomposing? What is wrong no, with I've you? No, I've always not been able to see out my left eye. Not well, completely, then... but like I have very blurred vision. Okay, ditch the glasses and get a monocle then. <laughs> you have an excuse for it. Oh, no, literally, the, the main reason why I wear glasses is because my optometrist was like, you can't risk losing your good eye. So you need to wear something in front of it at all times. Like I don't, the, this is nothing. My left eye, is no, no prescription in there. Uh-huh. And this is like a minus 0.25 and mm-hmm. that's it. I don't need them. I like, I can see without them. I just, <laughs> you do all, okay. I haven't known this and I've known you for like six years. No, my optometrist was just like, please don't ever get anything in your eye because you're <laughs> fucked if you lose your good eye. So uh, you heard it here, folks. Uh, we get a uh, hundred more uh, Patreon subscribers and I will throw dirt in Benedict's face. Wow. Uh, <laughs> 
You'll need get to see him with an more. eye patch and a monocle. We'll yeah, well, if happen. you did it in my left eye, it would make no difference. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I had an eye patch growing up because uh, they were trying, because it's a lazy eye and they were trying oh, to get well, me to. Oh, well, now you need to find me some childhood photos of this well, to send. no, but the problem is my rebellious streak uh-huh. always my parents weren't paying attention and they didn't know which one was my good eye. So I just wear the eye patch over my bad eye, which obviously as a child, I was like, ha, 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 this is great. But now I can't see out that fucking eye. <laughs> anyway. Oh, ever the rebel you. Ever the uh, rebel. Uh, uh, the most rebellious I've ever been, honestly. Um, what about <laughs> What's yours? My hot take this week, Benedict. Uh, I'm just really glad that Neil Gaiman is having a bit of a moment for the last couple of years. Mm, like, okay. basically all of his big stuff has been turned into prestige TV at this point. Like, they did Good Omens, they've done American Gods on Stars. Yeah. Uh, they've done... They did Sandman, right? They did Sandman on Netflix recently. They did Lucifer before that. It was fine if you... Oh, is that a Neil Gaiman thing? So, yeah, it's based off of Lucifer, which is one of the characters from the Sandman series. Uh, But it's wildly different than Neil Gaiman's work. It's really just like a fantasy police procedural where the Mm. devil is is one of the characters. And, like, if you can set aside all of your, like, you know, preconceived notions, it's sort of the, the issue you have to do with fantasy, right? And, and just live in that moment in, you know, like alternate universe theory, we have to do with comic books a lot, right? And if you can just believe that this is an alternate universe where the cops are good, then, oh, come on, that was a great setup to that joke. That was a great setup, and I got nothing was, out yeah. of you. I'm I got sorry. nothing. I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> that was good. No, you're right. You're right. That's me. That's on me. I really expect you to do something there. Uh, it's on uh, me. Well, do you know why? Because I tried to turn my head <laughs> and I was in <laughs> searing pain. So I wasn't paying attention for a second. But no, I just love it all because they've done Sand- the Sandman adaptation was good. Uh, good Omens, obviously, I love. I've talked about that. American Gods is great. Like, uh, it's it's all fantastic. Didn't, did they do the Nazi Boys too? I think they might. I don't, I don't know if that ever that. got turned into anything. I didn't see that. Uh, but uh, I'm just loving it because I love Neil Gaiman. I love his work and I, and I want more. Pump more content into my veins. Classically, yeah. yep. Uh, moving on, Benedict. What is on your bookshelf this week? Uh, bookshelf this week is a book called The Eagle and the Lion, which is about uh, Rome's relationship with, uh, I guess you'd call it Asia Minor, uh, or they would have called it Asia Minor. So the the Persian Gulf area, like everywhere from like the Near East to... Uh, Oh, sorry, West Asia and uh, like what is now Iran throughout the years. So throughout the, you know, Parthian period, Sassanid periods, it is Roman Empire shit. I'm a sucker for that, as everybody knows. So mm. there you go. That's me. The Eagle and the Lion. It's a new book. It's good. <laughs> what about you? Uh, for me, Benedict, I'm not doing the thing this week. I actually have a book. Uh, <laughs> the Nature of Conspiracy Theories by Michael okay. Butter, which might not be pronounced butter because he teaches in Germany at the Buter. University of Tübingen. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that either. Uh, but yeah, it might be Buter. Buter might be how you pronounce For it. For sure uh, it's Buter. Yeah, just I don't uh, know, but it feels right. Something like that. Historical look at conspiracy theories. He's a professor. I always find this entertaining. He's a professor of American studies at a German university. I just love that. The idea that we are being studied the way we have treated like you know, uh, a third world developing 
uh, societies for most of the history of like anthropology and all of that. Mm. Uh, the idea that people are studying American, like the animals in a zoo that we are, uh, is just great to me. But it's a great little look at conspiracy theories. It's relatively short if you want something that isn't uh, the usual massive tomes uh, that I recommend a lot of times. Check it out. Good book. Anyways, Benedict, moving us on to housekeeping this week. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen. And soon to be on Tumblr. Um, I decided to sign Tumblr? up for Tumblr. T- Twitter's oh, no. dying, man. I need something else. I'm trying them all out. Tumblr was the fucking place to go? No, we're not having a Tumblr. <laughs> Absolutely get rid of that shit. No way. Well, wherever we end up next, we'll see. Uh, updates, Not no Tumblr. updates. This it's week. insane. We're going to get insane audience <laughs> capture and we're going to become bad people. Uh, we have one inductee into the spooky world, New World Order, bleh, this week, and that is at Lennox Play on Twitter, uh, who clued me in. I, I knew about this because I am also a huge uh, Knowledge Fight fan. Uh, but Dan Friesen, one of the two coast hosts uh, of Knowledge Fight, did a complete breakdown of Alex Jones's first book, the one that we did, The Great Reset. I saw that. Yeah, I've seen that somewhere. Which uh, on on their website, alexjonesisanidiot.com. Mm. That's just type in that URL and it takes you right there. Uh, and uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to look through it, but I was looking through earlier today. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's pretty good it's pretty good i, I would be curious say. how many of the same things we picked up on because ours is obviously less way less detailed look, no but i think it's at, just like this fucking idiot at, yeah he goes like page by page yeah. uh i think a lot of what i would say is like throughout that whole review i did say like most of my knowledge on alex jones comes from knowledge fight so yeah. i would expect there's a lot of overlap there between what he puts into his review uh and a lot of the stuff we talked about on the show but if you oh wait we didn't do the thing uh let play you were now part of our new world spooky world order blah. but if you would like to join the spooky world new world order blah, you can tweet or post about the show on social media recommend it to others and send me a screenshot or tag us in it leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know make a donation to a worthwhile charity become a patron or get my attention to something good and better luck with all that out of the way time to jump right back into our review of manhood which we've set aside for a while now i guess since we had yeah. you know Two holiday we, specials we set in aside a row. Ch- childish things. And... <laughs> we, uh, we had our holiday specials, and then we had the listener mailbag episode, first one of the new year. But uh, nice to be getting back to our roots, as they yeah, say. Uh, say. Benedict, chapter seven is titled Warrior. And do you have an alternate chapter title for us this week? Yeah, why can't fight? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That one works. Uh, I have several, as I typically do. Uh, you need an editor. I yeah. First one is, let's get down to business <laughs> to defeat the Huns. I don't think Mulan is out of copyright yet. Uh, you it? know, I think uh, using it for comedy purposes is fine. Uh, next one, um, uh, Josh subscribed to Finster's OnlyFans and doesn't know how to handle it. Uh, and my last one, every man a Lord Xenu. Because uh, Josh, Josh might, uh, Josh might have joined Scientology and not told us all about it here. I'm with the first one, but that's fine. Okay, fine. Uh, the chapter begins as it does uh, with one of Josh's probably the worst example of him trying to have a story to connect himself <laughs> yeah, to everything yet. It's bad. Also, 
my brain, it's okay. So the first sentence is the dry Cimarron is a twisty bend of river that winds its way across the northeast. Blah 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 blah. Well, blah. Because my, because it's an old timey settler tale, you got to read it like this. No, no, the but hold on. The dry Cimarron is a twisty bend of river that winds its way okay. across the northeast corner Fine. of New Mexico. Let me just say my thing. Shut up. Uh-huh. My brain, despite reading it <laughs> maybe ten times, dry cinnamon. Could, Dry cinnamon twist. It could not get past it. Dry cimarron is a twisty bend of river. Dry cinnamon twist. Absolutely could not not read it that way. Oh man, that does that does make me want some cinnamon twists. Now. There you go. Yeah. You see? Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, but yes, wind its way across the northeast corner of New Mexico, out where the elevation runs six or seven thousand. Okay. Fine yeah. party pooper. Uh, bu- 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 elevation runs six or seven thousand feet above sea level before dropping down in the panhandle of Oklahoma. Most of the year, its waters move unseen beneath the sandy surface, hence the name Why have you gone back into the accent? I can't help it. Ages ago, it helps (laughs) carve a canyon among the mesas. I gotta do a different accent to keep myself out of it. Well, ages ago, it helped carve a canyon among the mesas of this stretch of high desert. The Cimarron Canyon. And that's where, back in the 1860s, my wife's family went to Homestead. Incidentally, family war has it that they started in Missouri, perhaps near where I grew up. A couple of brothers named Murphy and their sister Sarah, uh, Susan Murphy Sumter, who was by that time a widow with a small boy named Bud. So the, the impetus of this story that we're getting here is in the 1860s, some, you know, relative of his wife's family uh, uh-huh. who had a, a kid and whose husband was dead was out in New Mexico. And at that time in New Mexico was the wild, wild west, as we all know. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there was, apparently, an outlaw named Captain William Coe, who, despite Josh's description of him as one of the region's most notorious, doesn't even have a Wikipedia page to his name. No, but I did Google Google him, and the story matches what is on legendsofamerica.com. Okay, so... Well, we both had the same website, Benedict. We both yeah. we both had the same website we went to for this one. Legend. Uh-huh. <laughs> Including, I don't know if you saw this in your Google results when you look for his name. A literal GeoCities page that is still up about this guy. So cool. very little in-depth, I would say, information about William Coe. And certainly nothing that corroborates Josh's version of this story here. To which I will say, there are zero footnotes for the entirety of this story. So this is just all coming straight out of Josh here. But William Coe definitely was a guy who existed, was an Uh outlaw out in the Oklahoma, New Mexico-ish area at the time, and had a, a, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, a stronghold called Robber's Roost was the name of this spot where these outlaws would all hang out. And they had, I don't know, I found different numbers for like how many people were in the Coe gang, but it's like anywhere from like- 30 to 50. Yes, somewhere around that range, right? So it's a, it's a gang. It's a gang of dudes. And because, I guess, Josh's wife's uh, ancestor was out there alone with her son homesteading in New Mexico, they would come out to their house and just sort of make him give him stuff and, and whatnot. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I don't understand why Josh included this story. I really don't. Because the entirety of the, we're skipping most of it because it doesn't matter. The entirety of the story, the whole point of it, is that the Bud, the child of his wife's, who presumably would also be one of the ancestors, right? I guess. Um, at one point, the, the, the army was looking for William Coe. 
And they went and hung, you know, hid in like the barn at the family ranch where Bud mm. and Susan were. And Susan sent Bud to take a horse and go find the army and tell him where William Coe was. That's the whole story. That's it. But the, the whole yeah, point what behind I, it. What I will say is I do have the OklahomaSenate.gov page on, mm-hmm. uh, and it names a different person and their 14-year-old son for being responsible yeah. for this, and not Mrs. Sumter, but rather Mrs. Emery, who is the uh-huh. wife of Madison Emery. So yeah. notably, same story with different names attached. So who's who, yep. whom, whom to believe? I don't know, Benedict, but I will say Maybe there are the no footnotes in Josh Hawley's Senate, <laughs> Senate government page. <laughs> And look, I mean, I won't say that families don't have myths that started with a complete lie. people make shit up all the time. This is absolutely not true. Sure, sure. But, you know, everyone's family. They all want to feel like their family had something in their history that's a a big story, a big to-do to talk about. Everybody Mm. wants to talk about that. But... So they're at there. I they, did like you know, I, I did like how he gave the detail that it was a former Union soldier that was a a, uh-huh. a robber and a murderer. I mean, which is true, so I can't be too mad about it. <laughs> but he definitely chose to give that detail. Yeah, I mean, and like, look, cowboys stories, outlaw stories, everyone loves them, right? Everyone loves that kind of stuff. So cool, I guess. But the entire reason why this story is in here and why it's trying to connect, as Josh always does his family, his life in some way to the point of the chapter is because this chapter is called Warrior and Bud rode a horse to find the army. So he's a warrior, I guess. Yeah, it's like be a snitch, be a soldier. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not, I don't really get it. Benedict said it first, Bud was a snitch. <laughs> Benedict said it first, I have to point out. Yeah, but you were thinking it. But so at the end, it was like three and a half, four pages we got here of this story. Leading us finally into the chapter for real. Josh says, quote, my wife's family has cherished that story for a hundred years and more. It has been told and retold down the generations. It is a story about many things. M-dash, a woman defending her ranch, the trust between mother and son, the perilous life of the frontier but is also the story of a young man becoming something every man is called to be, M-dash, a warrior, M-dash, by choosing to face the darkness, choosing to take up responsibility and risk that comes with it, to venture out into the dangerous and unknown. Bud Sumter's choice is one faced by every boy who would become a man. Which is, again, that's just, it's just such a lame way to try and connect Josh to whatever the fuck he's trying to talk about. I just, I can't get over how this is like the worst one yet. It really is even worse than the one about the miscarriage where he refused to talk about his wife for the entirety of it. I, I yeah. honestly, just, just on a level of like it doesn't even connect. Just doesn't even. But also because at some point in the story, and I highlighted it, but we skipped it, he said something to the effect of, if there had been a man there, then these outlaws wouldn't have been, you know, they wouldn't have come. And if one man was there, the gang of 30 outlaws wouldn't have come and said they had to stay in the bunkhouse really yeah you think that josh i or think maybe... yeah i don't think the one man would have been able to do much about that to be yeah honest. i kind of doubt it but josh says predictably that is not how today's epicurean liberals see it instead they openly condemn male assertiveness and warn of the dangers of male power their views now define our cultural norms yet the bible and the traditions of the west say something different altogether 
we would do well to heed the ancient wisdom of the warrior virtues. And before we really get into it this week, I do need to remind everyone that several chapters ago, we did get Josh saying at least lip service to the effect of, uh, all that masculinity fighting rah-rah shit's just bullshit. Yeah. He did at least, He doesn't think that now. No, he certainly doesn't in this chapter. No. Although I will say, maybe it is a defense mechanism in this chapter that he uses. The fact that when he does talk about masculinity and what this warrior stuff means, it is all so vague that you can't actually take any concrete values from what he's trying to talk about. It's just the usual shit. Courage, bravery, oh, leadership. Look, it's literally let boys be boys. That's, li- that, that's the summary of this chapter. Could be. Could be said that way. And we'll get to, uh, I think, some of the points that I, I think he gets that the most. But that brings us to the first subsection of the chapter titled The Dark Frontier. And he begins by saying, the Bible discloses the character, again, always using, that is a very lawyerly introductory flag there, discloses, and I, I hate it so much. The character of a warrior in the story of Joshua, who faced dark forces to build a new Eden. The Bible tells us that each of us, or each man, must do the same. So... For those who don't know, yeah, I, I took the time to read the Wikipedia page about Joshua, which is as far as I was interested this week in looking into more Bible stuff. Um, and it's generally accepted by historians that both the Exodus story and the story in the book of Joshua are just part of a national myth uh, created. Oh, Exodus didn't happen. Oh, no, yeah. I, we, I, we think definitely that, I think we pretty much know that. Right, but also in the same way, uh, historians believe similarly of Joshua. And I combine the two because Joshua is in the Exodus story. That's where he Mm. first shows up. Uh, And then he takes over. I don't remember if Moses dies and then he takes over or what, but he eventually takes over and he becomes the new new guy, right? Uh, So, but they're they're believed by historians to be part of a nationalist myth um, that was just propagated around the time those books were written by whoever was in charge, sort of to just be like, you know, this is our territory. The usual stuff. What most religions are about, as it turns out. Uh, (coughs) But, Josh continues, By the time we get to Joshua in the Bible, Abraham is dead and gone. He became the father and husband God called him to be. When, Josh? You certainly never talked about when that happened. No. You just kept telling us how shit he was. Uh, He started his family, he set up an altar in the wilderness, but he is dead. And for four long centuries, the family of Abraham has been imprisoned in Egypt. Again, that's the thing you were talking about. Historians generally agree that didn't happen. Uh, There might have been, obviously, just because they're in the same region, there might have been some Jewish people who were in around Egypt, but certainly (coughs) there wasn't uh, the, what's the name of the Disney movie that I always fucking forget? The Prince of Egypt. Prince of Egypt. Uh, Again, it's not Disney. Oh, shit, we've been over this, haven't we? Dreamworks, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Are they okay? Not, not only do you forget the Disney the name the name of the Disney film, I forget, forget that, that we've been over Disney. the whole thing before, and now I have to Google and see if DreamWorks is owned by Disney, just it's because not. I need to be sure. Uh, fuck, owned by NBC Universal. Shit, it really really prevents me from uh, saying what I wanted to say, which is that it's Disney anyways. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Josh continues. He says, the man named Joshua must now take up Abraham's mission, which was Adam's mission before him. 
to build and extend God's temple. He must confront the chaos and subdue it. He must clear a path for light. Blah, 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 blah. It's all the same stuff, and we're skipping over a lot of this because, again, we've got a lot of pages to deal with this week. And also because it's just boring, and I don't really care about what the Bible says. We've been over that. But Josh, I do always, whenever he brings it back to us, that's when I pick back up after my eyes glaze over. He says, <laughs> quote, Our world is not so different from his, his being Joshua's. Evil runs rampant. Chaos abounds. And to do his, I mean, like, abounds. Chaos abounds? Yep. Josh, you live in Washington, D.C. You probably walked down the street to Panera within the last month. Chaos yeah, abounds. That, that fucking killer lemonade at Are you kidding? It's dangerous out here. <laughs> that is true. Uh, Benedict and I both drinking Panera lemonades at the moment. Yep, right you now. That's why I'm you tell. <laughs> oh, okay, a Panera lemonade would kill you. You are the person who needs the warning label on Panera lemonade. Your fragile complexion and, and condition. <laughs> fragile condition. Complexion and condition. I mentioned both. I mentioned both. Uh, you could not I, handle I thought them. you were correcting yourself. But no, no, no I was just, just pointing out both. <laughs> Desperately needs to be kept as far away from Panera as possible. Uh, and to do his part, jo continuing, uh, every man must become a Joshua and acquire the character of a Do you warrior. think he's secretly writing about himself? I mean, I, I, honestly, I'm surprised at some point in this chapter he didn't point out. And my name's also uh, my Josh. Name's also Josh, yeah. <laughs> Is his full name? It's got to be Joshua, right? Sure. Joshua yeah. is the only long form of Josh. I don't think there's another uh, one. Josh over. <laughs> That's like a. <laughs> It's a, it's, like a pie. it's a little pie. It's a little pie. It's a little meat pie, but it has Josh inside of it. It's a Josh over. <laughs> Find them now at Greg's. Josh, Josh <laughs> The Greg's American branch were opening. <laughs> <laughs> we would make bank, honestly, if we did Fuck that. yeah, we did. Let's do it. Uh, continuing. If today's Epicureans demur, it may be that they have forgotten or have never understood the reality of the world as it is. Just, I just love that sort of attempt to be like, oh, you just don't get it, man. They just, uh, the, the Epicurean left, they just don't get it. They don't see what you and me do. You know, YouTube videos by guys who are scared of cities who go and film a street full of homeless people and then leave and go to Panera on their way to, to go back home to the suburbs. I just hate that. Uh, continuing. They do not appreciate the presence of evil, and they do not understand a man's role in answering it. In fact, today's Epicurean liberals cast men themselves as the problem. Which brings us to the next subsection of the chapter titled, Remaking Men. Which, like, we've gotten the gist of this already in this book, I think. It's really yeah. just restating the same... I mean, that's all he's done every chapter, is restate the, cha the same gripes. Oh, the left doesn't want to let men be men. And don't ask me to define what that means. I'm yeah. just going to complain <laughs> about them saying we have to have feelings. Yeah. It continues saying, to begin this subsection, quote, Today's liberals do not want men to take up the warrior virtues. Their agenda for forming men's character runs in the opposite direction. The left tells us the warrior character traits are symptoms of traditional masculinity, which is what I assume those quotes around it are, are intended oh, yeah, to call for, for as sure. far as inflection, which it calls a form of false consciousness from which men need to be liberated, which I think is a different definition he's given us 
of traditional masculinity from the left than prior ones. I haven't gone back to check, but seems like one I haven't it seen before. Yeah, it, it feels different. Yeah, it does. It feels different. Yeah. Leftists warn that men's proclivity for strength and aggression is exactly what is wrong with them. Okay, speak for yourself. I have no such proclivities. <laughs> Only when Panera runs out of lemonade. We're going to keep going back to that well today, aren't we? It's all the about lemonade Panera. well, yeah. God, I would Today's kill show is sponsored well. by... <laughs> Who's a Panera competitor? I don't know. Uh... <laughs> Greg's. God. I'm still getting over the COVID a little bit, so I still got a little bit of cough. It's still killing me. I'm going to try and edit as many coughs as I can out of the final cut. You should edit more in, I think. So... <laughs> Some, I think, are going to end up making their way in no matter what I do. But he continues. They, they, they say men must be educated to abandon competition in their instinct to be tough. Again, no, no such instinct. No footnote. They must learn to discard emotional stoicism. Again, with the quotes. And they want this character re-education to begin as early as elementary school with programs to socialize boys out of masculinity norms or medicate them to enlightenment if necessary. They do not want to encourage men to be strong and courageous. They want men to abandon masculinity altogether. Yeah, what, what are those quotes? Strong and courageous. Why, why is that I in quotes? Don't, I could what? not explain why. Because there's no footnote there for yeah, where that might have come from. He's just put strong and courageous in quotes for no reason. I mean, to be fair, it's, maybe it's just scare quotes. But what? it doesn't make any sense to have them there. None whatsoever. Uh, but then he begins. He uh, starts, starts getting into some meat here, saying, quote, This project usually takes one of two forms, though both lead to the same destination. Some leftists, and Benedict, in a moment I'll ask you to guess who that leftist is, argue that the real problem with male power is the warrior ideology that animates it. Again, since nobody talks about a warrior ideology except Josh and, and assholes, I don't think anyone on the left is really worrying about that. Men are trapped, they say, in a suffocating, outdated model of masculinity where manhood is measured in strength. Benedict, so do you know, and you might know because you might have looked, who this leftist is that is criticizing the warrior ideology of men? Is this the Michael Ian Black This one? is the Michael, <laughs> Michael Ian Black! Cool. He cites to a Michael Ian Black op-ed in the New York Times for that proposition. Nice. I don't know why that's funny. I don't know anything about Michael Ian Black outside of, you know, being vaguely familiar with him as a, a comedian and celebrity. But, uh, you know, fine. <laughs> more, more proof that not just anyone should be allowed to write in the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, and I don't know this because I, I didn't bother to go check that footnote and find the article. I would guess that Michael Ian Black was writing about how, you know, the, the you know, this form of masculinity that Josh loves so much is a problem. If I had to guess, might be what Michael Ian Black was writing about. But again, that's just based off what I know of him from Wet Hot American Summer. That's about it. Other than that, I couldn't tell you much more about what Michael Ian Black thinks. Uh, but he continues. Men are socialized into aggressive and dominant behaviors, they contend. The American Psychological Association... Okay, hold on. Pause it. Yeah. I just looked up the op-ed because I hadn't before. It was a post-Parkland op-ed. Okay. So it was a, hey, kids aren't okay. We should do stuff about, you know, mental health and that kind of stuff Benedict, to stop school shootings. Would you and believe me if I told you... 
That is not the worst citation Josh has in this chapter. I would. But also, <laughs> like, imagine being like, this pussy wants to stop school shootings. I know. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, but so, yeah, now Josh is going to go full Scientologist. Cool. Uh, where he just, Is this he's, the worst citation that he has? No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, right. uh, he's going in on the American Psychological Association and other you know, psychologists and people who have talked about toxic masculinity and things like that. Mm-hmm. He, is he always does this. He did this, too, he did this last time. Yeah. Uh, not last time, but a few chapters ago with the American Psychological Association, where, again, they were diagnosing a thing that people say in their research and were saying something helpful about it. And he takes their diagnosis of what's actually happening as like them advising you know that the usual stuff of them thinking diagnosis is prognosis well i mean on some level i think with like psychology i I don't think that most psychology is good like i think on a lot of cases psychologists who try that's a very toxic masculine i'm not going to therapy (laughs) outlook that you have there for yourself that's not what i'm saying i think therapy can be helpful because it's it's helpful to talk to people I think that most, like, people who try and say what's happening, this also might be influenced by the fact that my partner has recently become obsessed with the show Criminal Minds, mm-hmm. which I fucking despise because it's everything awful. Uh, uh, I think when they say what's going on inside of someone's head, they're just bullshitting. They're just bullshitting yeah, because the they can't way, know what's going on inside someone's yeah, head. Exactly. And also, like, the very, like, the Freudian, like, is it because of your relationship with your parents? Yes, it's like, always no, that kind I of I mean, shit. maybe, but, like, not your... Shut up. <laughs> is this the part where you start talking about how much you love Criminal Minds, Benedict? That- <laughs> <laughs> no, but it does sound similar to Mindhunter, which I do like, so... <laughs> I never saw that, and I see oh, people are really hyped because it might be coming back or something. Oh, is it? That would be good. Uh, that's I've seen on Twitter recently is, is what people are talking about. But anyways, yeah, so he's going in here about the American Psychological Association... He has some complaints about Brown University advising students that, quote, men will often resort to violence to resolve conflict because anger is the only emotion that they have been socialized to express, which is, boy, just accurate. Boy, is that not (coughs) untrue. (laughs) And again, like, Josh, you were the one who said earlier that this idea of toxic masculinity as a thing of violence and anger is bullshit. So what's your problem with what Brown University said? Who knows? I'm waiting for him to answer. Don't we'll think Josh even knows. Yeah. We know Josh listens to the show, of course. I, I'm mm. sure he, much time out of his day is spent to listening to our back catalog. Um, he is a patron. I, I won't tell you what his username is. <laughs> but Josh says next quote. The cure is character formation of a different kind, referring to the cure that the Epicurean left wants. Get men to think differently to reject outmoded stereotypes for more modern, enlightened notions. Wow, Ed- how terrible. What, wouldn't that be awful if we did that? Mm-hmm. just the ideology, in other words. Teach boys that aggressiveness is not linked to biology, and that the notion of masculine assertiveness is just another M-dash and dangerous M-dash social construct. I like that he doesn't actually argue against any of this. He's just like, well, this is what they're trying to do. okay but like so like even say that is true why would that be bad well i think part of it is probably that josh knows his audience and they're they know that they're going to take as a given that all these things are good right despite him pretending to be against the toxic masculinity of violence and anger earlier we know he's actually not because he loves that sort of shit because how else Mm -hmm. are you gonna get people to storm the capitol on january 6th um i don't know 
<clears throat> but this, yes, he's very angry about people saying men shouldn't be dicks. If we boil it down, it's people saying, hey, guys, you don't have to be a dick. There's nothing biological that makes you a dick. You can just not be a dick. And uh, Josh appears to be against that, of course. So skipping down a little ways, he says, quote, but another perhaps more candid set of critics, which I love this sort of thing. We see it from a lot of our authors. They suggest that the smaller the minority view yeah. that is more along the lines of the straw man they want to argue against, oh, that's just the ones who are being more honest about it. Because as we all know, they all think the same, just some will admit it and others won't. Uh, contends the problem with male power is not merely masculine ideology, not toxic masculinity as such, but the idea of masculinity itself. It is masculinity in general, manhood in general, that is firmly tied to climate change and militarism and to rape and domestic vi- uh, uh, Josh. Josh. Uh, hold on there, buddy. Um, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about all these, because uh, a few of those uh, are definitely right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the end of the sentence that I, I stopped before I got to, with school shootings and murder. Yep. Boy, hmm, that, hmm, Josh, what side are you arguing for here? You're yeah. not being clear enough on what you are against. Uh, but yeah. So skipping a ways uh, for, so he's easy to Matt. He's saying that schools and everyone, they're trying to get rid of boys being boys. They're trying to get rid of masculinity and manhood and whatever. And that brings him to a series of stories about children who were probably disciplined for things that they shouldn't have been disciplined for. Which is just like a genre of story in American media that goes around every now and then. So... And and I vaguely remember some of these. Like, the first one he brings up was a kid in New York in 2010. Um, And I did pull up one of the stories for this. It was like Staten Island. Who was like a kid who brought a Lego gun to school. It was like a little gun made to be held by a Lego guy. It's a Lego minifigure that had a gun, right? Well, but the gun like detaches from the hand, you know? Because they have that little grip hand thing. Yeah, but it's very small. Yes, and the kid got, like, taken into the the principal's office and got in trouble and whatnot. I think Josh and I can probably agree that kid probably shouldn't have been disciplined for that. Maybe you just say, hey, uh, don't bring that to school tomorrow. You know, just, you know, put it in your backpack. You're good, but don't bring it to school tomorrow. Probably would be fine. I don't think anyone denies that there are, in a country of 300-plus million occasionally school administrators who go a little overboard. Yeah, but also I'm fine with that. Like, if you're like, hey, don't bring weapon, things that look like weapons to school after school shootings have happened, I think that's okay. If that's the the rule that the school wants to have, is that you can't bring a thing that looks like a weapon of mass murder, I think that's okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, The other one, other ones he brings up, uh, a fifth grader in Tennessee who chewed a piece of pizza into the shape of a gun. Again. Okay, I mean, that's, that's, that, that, I'd probably draw the line at the Lego thing, and then this, that one's okay. Yeah, that one, I don't really think uh, anything should have happened there. And then another one, which I didn't even bother to look up, in North Carolina, a nine-year-old was suspended for calling his teacher cute in a conversation with another student. Again, man, yeah, sometimes school administrators go a little wild. That happens in this country. I, 
it's the attempt to paint these things as though this is what those Epicurean leftists yeah, want. That's what they want. Like, okay, man. It's like, fine, dude, whatever. But I'm surprised he wasn't like, and then they even, they want to take away pizza because it can be <laughs> chewed into the shape of a gun. Oh, also, oh. it's bad for you. <laughs> and it contains meat sometimes, yeah, Benedict. Sometimes. Meat and cheese and the Epicurean leftists want us all to be vegans. It's so fucking Jordan Peterson, isn't it? Like the Epicurean leftists. Oh, there was a moment in this chapter that made me absolutely go, oh shit, he's just stealing from Jordan Peterson. I yeah. think it's towards the end, and you might know what I'm talking about, where he starts like giving his prescriptions for what to do. Mm-hmm. And 12 I was just, rules for life or I was ba- Oh, you just you just have a copy of Jordan Peterson's Clean Your, Your Room book on your shelf, and you thought that this was how you're supposed to do this. Okay, Josh. But next, he starts telling us about how all these kids are over-medicated. And he says, quote, If boys don't comply... They are drugged. Childhood diagnoses of ADD and ADHD. Okay, that's not the same thing, Josh. That's that's not what that is. Children complying and being drugged, that is not what's going on here. Uh, I think plenty of people agree and have agreed for decades now that many physicians have been overzealous to prescribe certain medications to children. That's a thing that's been discussed. That's true, yeah. It's too easy to get Ritalin, I think. Yeah, and I think there's also a trend of that of it's more likely that a boy will be diagnosed with these things than a girl will. That that stands up with the data. That's happened. Um, to Josh, apparently this is part of a plan of the left to keep the boys compliant, mm-hmm. which is just, like, so close to verging on QAnon shit. I can't even describe it. Like... It's the thing we talked about before, the fact that they ascribe everything that happens to a plan. Someone is doing this to you, rather mm. than it being an effect of systems and how they work, is what leads them to their insidious fascist mindsets. Like, because you have to fight that evil enemy who was doing this to you and your children. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, there is an enemy, that's the thing. You're exactly. right, it is, yeah. You can't do stochastic terrorism if you can't say that they are the ones doing it. Otherwise, you know, who are you going to direct your followers to go attack? It's it's hard to do it if you don't have point. a... Yeah, you need to have an eternal enemy. Vague, amorphous enemy, you know? And we've always been at war with them. We have always been at war with East Asia. Benedict, we are living in 1984 <laughs> right now! <coughs> I can do it better than they can. Yep. But picking up on the next page, he says... For some clinicians, the very boyishness of boys... But just one, one quick second. I do enjoy him being like... Ah, uh, the process for diagnosing ADHD doesn't favor boys. Boys are little idiots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was another so weird funny. thing. He says it. So <laughs> we know that Josh is a misogynist. We know that he thinks it's males so are superior. Funny. But the fact that in these like two pages here, he really is shit talking boys. Like, oh, you know, their brains mature later, so they're just not. Uh, the, they uh, the fact that they're forced to be in school with girls where they're just all there based on their age doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Arguing for segregation. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how he feels about all boys. He's probably fully in favor of uh, you know segregated schools by gender. Is probably uh, well, how he feels. Maybe about not it. just gender or uh, sex. Probably, yeah. probably a number of different things. Probably, probably. Yeah, you're right. He wouldn't want gender because. He's a transphobe. Anyways, he continues. I'm going to skip down a little further. When they're deprived of any healthy physical outlets, because he's saying that they they don't get enough PE, uh, it should surprise no one that boys periodically act up in class. As you might suspect, 
or as you might expect given this environment. Boys are dropping out of school in alarming numbers. And this, I point out, I highlighted to point out this nice little uh, bait and switch that Josh mm-hmm. puts in here, where he has a footnote for that. And then his next line says, researchers found a 71% increase in just 20 years of the number of male high school seniors who say they don't like school. Notably not the same as dropping out. Not the same. He wants you to think they're the same because that 71% number there is great. That looks scary to whoever's reading and vaguely skimming and not really paying attention to what's being said here. Uh, But that is, of course, not at all related to the first proposition of that paragraph. Uh, (coughs) And then there's complaints. I mean, just the old complaints that always get brought up in these books because they, they just remember these old gripes they had for a brief moment, the cycle of hate. He brings up the Gillette ad after Me Too that the whole right pooped their diapers about. Because it was like, don't be a dick. Yeah, the point or of like if Gillette your friend's ad. being a dick, tell them not to be a dick. I can't even remember what that ad said at this point, And I didn't bother to it look at it before be, we started. Don't be a toxic man, basically. It was just like lots of examples of sometimes people being dicks and sometimes like men stepping in to stop other men being dicks and be like, hey, we should all be more like that. Yeah. What could possibly Terrible. be their problem? Terrible. That's the issue. I don't understand what their problem could be. But he says, quote, And to consuming stuff, let's not forget that. The corporations that cater to men may attack masculinity, M-Gillette, for example, M- but they want those same men, er, persons, which is in irony italics, I guess, to keep on consuming. This is the Epicurean left's new ideal. A nation of androgynous consumers. The reason they did that, by the way, is because they did an ad with a trans person in it. Okay. The the reason he said, uh, persons, is because they did an ad with a trans person in it. Okay, so I assumed there, there's assumptions making an ass out of me. Uh, I assumed he was talking about the one that was just like, don't do toxic masculinity. I forgot about the Gillette no, ad. No, it is. It is. He was originally referring to the, the toxic masculinity ad, but then when he does the uh, persons double take, okay. that's because they did a trans That's Again, it's on me because sometimes I forget all the right-wing grievance cycles. And There's, if you don't uh, remember Gillette them all... too, so... <laughs> If you can't remember them all, it's really hard to know what they're talking about from sentence to fucking sentence. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Nation of androgynous consumers who don't rock the boat and don't question much, and certainly not those in power, but buy plenty of cheap paraphernalia to keep the corporations profitable. And then, Benedict, I am going to ask you to guess again. Don't look at your footnotes. Who is this leftist commentator he is citing for this next the, uh, the two sentences from where I left off that he is quoting for, I don't know, three, four lines there. Don't you look at your footnotes. I'm not. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the quote. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so from the, the, you mean the spectrum of gender or did that? Bit, from, or from, the... Yes. The spectrum of gender. Yes. I'll read it while you imagine. It Can says, you read quote, it in this Slavis, is a quote. Slavas is ex voice. This is I a quote. <laughs> From a leftist company. The spectrum of the gender. The spectrum of gender affords so many expressions of itself. And their freedom... I See, it feels mean. Did he have a stroke? I don't no, know I don't why. Think so. I think that's just how he that talks. Uh, can be intoxicating. Men can be whoever they want, whenever they want. And those new identities are limitless. Uh, I don't know. It's Jared Yates Sexton. That's who he's quoting there. The author. The, the, the English professor. That's who he's quoting. The, nice. That's, again, buddy, 
Again, still not even close to the worst citation we have in this chapter. But to end off this subsection, he says, quote, What today's Epicureans fail to consider, and this is like all just masturbatory power fantasy, basically from here on out, uh, is the possibility that manhood is real and biological, that men have all that drive and ambition for a purpose. Maybe evil is real, too, and lodged in the recesses of the human heart, where men and women must confront it in themselves. Maybe evil is not, as today's Epicureans have it, a mere matter of adjusting the social systems. And given all that, maybe male power is necessary. Maybe we need strong men to protect the garden of civilization. Maybe we need strong men to win a place for the light. And he's just jerking off on the keyboard. I want to do justified fire! That's what that is. That's all that that fucking is. Which brings us, Benedict, to our next subsection. Strong and courageous, which is in quotes in the subheading for some reason. I still don't know why. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. I hadn't noticed that. I And I think it's because he's quoting the Bible, right? Because, like, God tells Joshua, oh, be strong. Oh, I think stro- you're right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. right. Doesn't explain why it was in quotes earlier with no citation to the Bible for where it came from. Yeah. Doesn't explain why it's in quotes in the subheading. It's just, man, I just, sometimes I got to point out it's bad writing. It uh, is but, bad writing. You're right. You know, Josh, there's evil all over the place. Blah, blah, blah. God wants you to be strong and courageous. Blah, blah, blah. Don't be androgynous. Uh, boy, I just summarized the whole chapter for you. Josh That's is really afraid of androgyny. Because, as I've said many times, he is so attracted to androgynous people. Um, Josh had much to fear. I'm sorry, Joshua had much to fear, is what I was quoting from the book. He had giants and beasts he knew were there. He had his past. Because I guess he kind of sucked when they were all in the jo- in the. Sounds the like Joshua maybe had ADHD. I don't know. Maybe some wrestling. I don't know. Did, wait, did we hear earlier? I don't remember this. Was Josh diagnosed with ADHD? Did no, I, am I, I vaguely so. remembering that to be something we, we heard him say? I don't think so. I think I remember him saying something about that earlier on in this book, I but I honestly so. don't remember. Uh, <coughs> but Josh says, every... <coughs> ah, goddamn cough. Every man knows how that goes. The same is true in our own lives, always. There are giants of the world around us. Our health, our bills, our marriage and children and work. There are giants within our own wickedness, our bent towards selfishness and strife, our desire to get... And it's just Josh describing all of his own demons. That's really what's going on here. I don't see any real point in that other than pointing out that Josh is a very troubled person. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but he also wants to argue that courage is rare. Courage is rare. And of course, Josh is not bothered to define courage at any point, what it means. But Josh, you know, true courage, true courage is different than what these Epicureans think courage is. What does it mean? Don't ask Josh. He's not going to tell you. But we do learn from Josh that you have to go and risk your life because that's what courage means. So I guess, I mean, that kind of makes sense with the right being constantly warmongering. Just, you know, needing an excuse for that. I mean, it's just such a stupid definition of courage. Like, you know, these, well... Yeah. Well, uh, that's the thing is, it's not like they really. They would never see coming out as courage, you know, like no. defending your life by coming out to, to your friends and family, like, you know, things like that, that are obviously take huge amounts No, of because Benedict, as we know, uh, LGBTQ people have it so good in the United States yeah. 
Um, so it's not, it doesn't take any courage to come out. There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing there at all. Say the people screaming homophobic slurs across a parking lot at a gay bar. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I gotta love that sort of thing. But skipping over to the next page, Josh says, quote, after briefly giving an introduction to Locke, uh, as he does. <laughs> very, very, very basic introduction. Very, okay, maybe I do have to read that paragraph. I was going to yeah, skip go it, but he says, quote, The question is, what does it mean to preserve it, it being life, referencing a prior paragraph? The philosopher John Locke built an entire philosophy around self-preservation. Man's instinct for keeping himself safe, Locke said, was the beginning of his rights. Since life was man's most precious property, he had a right to safeguard it. And then Josh says... Modernity has probably learned too much from Locke. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew John Locke was the founder of self-care also? No, okay. (laughs) I was going to get to that sentence next. But yes, Josh is implicitly, he never explicitly says it, but he is implicitly arguing that self-care and and, And and self-preservation are the same thing. Buddy, look. My partner, when I lived in D.C., worked at a rape crisis center. They needed self-care because that job's fucking rough. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure they understood that it was very different than self-preservation. Yeah. Which is like having a roof over your head and not dying. That's very different. Yeah. (laughs) It's very different than the couple boxes of puzzles that my partner kept on the TV stand to sit down and put together whatever they were feeling Self-care can take different forms it's it not takes many different puzzles. forms a lot of people use puzzles man i'm just saying yeah i've known right. many people Boom. who say their self-care is puzzles whatever also Do- i mean this bit is funny because he's like people used to die for causes which is an utter simplification of every oh, yeah. pointless war that like explain for the first world war to me in like people why did people die for a cause there yeah other than like cousins were mad at each other and wanted empires i mean like, like I, what I the think, fuck are you talking about <laughs> i think we've said before that basically if you look back at american history like maybe uh, maybe you know, the last 150 years or so 100 100 years like the one war you can say there was maybe uh uh or definitely i'd say moral justification for it. world war ii I, I think we pretty much all agree world war ii and the good side of the civil war i said last hundred years so i was cutting that out so we didn't have to okay, go that far see. back yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes i other than that like yeah vietnam uh, i mean were people korea. dying for you a could, cause you could, in vietnam? you could argue korea i mean korea was pretty uh, justifiable morally I mean, Korea was invaded by North Korea. South Korea was invaded by North Korea with the sure. USSR and China's backing. So I, I can see why the US was like, hey, stop that. Yeah, I, I always, the problem I have with that is that the, like, maybe individ, maybe on a lower level, yeah, those justifications might have been good. But, like, the top level justifications we had for that kind of stuff in the US was, like, fucking domino theory and anti-communism. Yeah. No, I get that. But also, I mean, I think that was that was largely a UN slash NATO resolution where Vietnam wasn't. So I think yeah. I, I have more sympathy with Korea than, than Vietnam as a, as a justified war. Right. And I don't think many people at all agree that Vietnam was a justified war. Oh, for sure not. Like, no, <laughs> definitely not. I, when I say more sympathy, I mean, I have no sympathy for the Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. No, we have, better let's be clear. We have, we have sympathy for the Vietnamese. Oh we yeah. Definitely yeah no, do. No, for the U S involvement. In Vietnam. Yes. 
And, and, you know, it should be said, obviously, given there was a draft and shit, sympathy for people who got pulled into shit that they shouldn't have ever had yeah, to be involved look, in. let's not put too many I know. I We're sitting here trying to walk around and come I up know. with all the qualifiers we need. U.S. and Vietnam, bad. Like, that's just... Absolutely. Uh, but so, yes, uh, self-care, self-preservation. He actually has a parenthetical where he says, modern societies focus on self, parentheses, self-care, self-fulfillment, self-preservation, end parentheses, obscures larger truths. Start with this one. Virtually every other society we know has pushed men forward, brave men, courageous men, warriors, and soldiers to stand between danger and civilization, even at the cost of their lives. And that goes back to what we were just talking about, right? Were they standing between civilization and danger? No. Or was this danger caused by, by a bunch of dicks? Like, I would like Alsace. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm not sure there was exactly uh, that sort of uh, protecting civilization aspect of things. And I think that's what I was going to say with regards to like World War II. That's maybe one of the times when you can say, yes, we were protecting civilization. Yeah, from, I mean, it took them a fucking while to get involved, though, didn't it? Like, Well, not the people who had just been invaded, but the U.S., sir. The U.S., I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes, I understand what you mean. He continues, Sometimes survival depends on the aggressive and competitive spirit today's Epicurean liberals want to destroy. Sometimes a man must give his life to enable other lives to go on. The Greeks called a man's ambition and drive thumos, spiritedness. We got another cool. definition. So yep. I just, uh, I, is he going to give us the definition of, of spiritedness in various nope. languages? The French called it spirited wah. What would Machiavelli <laughs> have called it? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he's talking about this Thumos bullshit it's for a while. <laughs> <laughs> he's really obsessed with this idea. And then Benedict, we get to the worst citation of the chapter. Cool. Where he begins this paragraph saying, But properly channeled, it is the strength of civilization, and we kill it at our own peril. And then skipping down a little ways. And some people are going to know why this is bad immediately. I don't expect many will. In the words of the Catholic philosopher Joseph Piper, Without vulnerability, there is no possibility of true courage, because there is no need for it. Benedict, do you know who Philip Piper was? Philip Piper or Joseph Piper? Sorry, Joseph Piper. Joseph Piper. No, but he was born in Germany in 1904, so I yeah. can't imagine it's good. Benedict, maybe that is the root of where I'm going with this. Piper was a German Catholic theologian uh, who, in uh, uh, 1934, uh, wrote some books. 34? I don't know why that year would be important. But he wrote some books around 1934. And let's just say, for example, he wrote words that say things like, Hitler and the Pope had the same main enemies, namely liberalism on the right, this heredity evil of modernity which underlies the current crisis, and Bolshevism on the left before Hitler saved us. Early Nazi sympathizer is the other part of the descriptor of who Piper is. Yep. That, yeah. That Josh leaves out. No, the Josh yeah, cool. mm, does not address at any point, um, I will say, right, and again, as far as I went into Joseph Piper was his Wikipedia page, because that was as far as I needed to go. When you go you know, halfway down the page and they're talking about his early Nazi connections, I will also note that other people have pointed out that he soured on the Nazis and no longer liked them after a little while. Well, that makes him brave. <laughs> I just... 
it's one of those things. If Josh had an editor, I feel like they would have also looked at this They'd Wikipedia have page. It and gone, the Nazi guy? And then... <laughs> and Josh's like, no, nah, no, nah, different guy. Oh, you mean born in 1930, uh, uh, 1904 in Germany? Yeah, there must be multiple of them. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like that Conan podcast bit with the guy but no, who, different Jeff, Jeff Epstein. Jeff Epstein? <laughs> the financier. Yeah, if anything happened to him, I would have heard about it. I would have, it's exactly like that. That's what should have happened here. <laughs> but that bit. Uh, oh, by the way, this whole thing he wrote about bravery also wrote that in 1934. The same year he was writing some Nazi cool, shit. so he's being like, it takes courage for me to support the Nazis. <laughs> well, awesome. to be fair, I think they were two different publications. The okay. pro-Nazi stuff and the bravery stuff. Okay, okay. But not a, good po- not a good sign that they were being put out around the same time. But that brings us to the next subsection, which is titled, Get Confrontational. Uh, and he says, quote, As Joshua's story goes on, he musters the army of Israel and crosses the River Jordan into the land of Canaan. There, the Israelites, ready for battle. Then one night, blah, 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 Angel came and said, hey, what's blah, up, blah, dude? Blah, 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 yeah. Uh, take off your sandals because the ground is holy. Stupid and this is just, propaganda stuff. O- only reason I bring it up is because it's another part of Josh's insane interpretations of Bible stuff where, like, he expands to such a crazy degree stuff in the Bible because, like, that thing is, like, the way I understand, based off, again, two minutes of Googling, that is understood by historians and theologians and whatnot is this this the book of joshua is, is nationalist propaganda put out around the time to say all oh, this land is ours right that's generally what's how it's understood to yeah. josh though no man everybody's got to take off their sandals because all the ground is holy man and it's all a garden all a new eden that's what's going on here it's not what we know it to be it's some weird bullshit i pulled out of my ass yeah generally what we've seen with all of Josh's biblical interpretation. He's just pulling shit right out of his ass. So I did enjoy the bit where he says, sorry to cut you off, but I'm bored of this bit. <laughs> I enjoyed the bit where he said, what evil have you compromised with in your life? Allowed to slither in by slow degrees, a little here, a little there. And I thought that was particularly poignant because I read this bit on the anniversary of January 6th. <laughs> So I thought that was fun. That was a fun really, little I, treat for me. Let me tell you another thing is that, so I, I, you know, I have like a word doc I have with like a long view of where the Lunatic Fringe series is going. And I do have on my note for whenever the January 6th episode arc starts that I have to do one of those episodes on January 6th, right? It has to like it around the time. Well, you so there's no way we're one, getting to that so. until next year because it has to be around the time. It just makes sense in my brain that that has to happen. I don't know why, but yes. I did like that point. I also like the paragraph a little bit before that one you just read, where he said, quote, Where do we begin with confrontation? The Epicureans condemn confrontation and hold up politeness as a principal virtue. Bitch, have you met me? No. <laughs> Shut up. I'm not even a manly man. I will fuck you up with my words. I really just think that it's really cute to me that Josh thinks that male Karens will save the world. Yeah, they that's, <laughs> that's how oh, I yeah. interpret what he's writing there. That really is. And then on the next page, I just wrote in big block letters on the top, oh, Josh is just ascribing all the problems of masculinity to the Epicurean left here. 
is is what he, what's going on on this page because yeah what's what slithered into your yeah slithered yeah what what slithered in what are these demons you're dealing with he says continuing where you left off are you getting up late showing up late doing a lackluster job you used to care but now it's easier not to you're not investing the time with your girlfriend or sounds wife or like kids. Josh Hawley's fucking uh, state level <laughs> politics career to me skipping down he says is it anger. When you started dating, you said you would never yell at her that way. But now you find yourself doing it all the time. Josh, there's nobody on the Epicurean left telling people to yell at their girlfriends, man. That's, uh, I don't know where you're, you're finding that from. And then the weird one, the envy paragraph. I think he's just like listing like various things he's mad about. But envy, he goes on a tangent about Otto von Bismarck. For what reason, I do not know. But he says, quote, Otto von Bismarck, the famed German chancellor of the 19th century, once remarked that he lay awake all night hating. Known that- hater, Otto von Bismarck. <laughs> known Absolutely. Hater. Known hater, Bismarck. Absolutely. No Not idea. Like- <laughs> That's so funny. Makes no sense. <laughs> I skimmed over this bit and didn't catch that. That's so funny. <laughs> Known hater Otto van Bismarck once noted he lay awake all night hating. Oh, uh, what's man. the citation to that, please? I, you can look it up while I talk about these next ones. So he has a paragraph about money, a paragraph about pleasure, which he calls that most Epicurean of vices. Ooh, uh, but of course, <coughs> of course, he he compares it to self care. Right? Pleasure is self care. He says. Uh, he first talks about drugs, sex, okay, alcohol. Okay, it's a citation in German. There is no way. No way. No, no way, way no. that Josh read a book in German. No, Shut the fuck not. up. Absolutely not. But he says, uh, do you live for the next high and whatever it can give it to you? Sex, alcohol, drugs? Or perhaps you're more careful and more measured. Not so gauche. You call it self-care, but it's become your life. I think he's just knocking on, like, casual weed users there, maybe? Assuming, yeah. That seems to be what he's talking about. But then he tells us what the... What about lust for power, Josh? What about leaving the the state senate-level campaign that you said you would stick around for, and then the governor's campaign? Did I miss that paragraph? Did I miss the paragraph? Yeah, I think you must have done, yeah. I don't know what happened there. Well, the next bit is he's like, actually, it's good when people are (laughs) ambitious. So, like, and and want to move up in life. I'm confused about what Josh thinks about ambition right because of this next next section yeah. uh, i have no idea what he thinks about that but before we get to that he tells us there is only one solution stop compromising start confronting choose an evil in your life and drive it back when you retake ground hold it activate your thumos your drive for something other than self-promotion activate it against evil for the battle of your soul and I, I just don't know totally... why, but that sounds queer coded to me. <laughs> Activate your thumos. Yeah. I, mean... <laughs> I gotta tell you what I am. <laughs> You're always activating your thumos, absolutely all the time. When I read that, a that was when I thought, oh, this is Jordan B. Peterson shit. Yeah. That's what this is. Uh, but also in my mind, what I envisioned was Neon Genesis Evangelion and Shinji not being able to activate his thumos. <laughs> So he can't fight off the angels. Uh, that's what I picked up on there. But anyways. Jordan B. Peterson also queer-coded? Maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. Those jackets? Please. Oh, maybe. Next subsection. <laughs> Why can I never say subsection? It's a Why is one. that impossible for me to say? Because you just said thumos and you've given yourself a natural lisp. <laughs> Next subsection. Also, I've had you doing Zizek already <laughs> this fucking chapter. So. It's called War on Pride. Okay, we are running long, so let's <laughs> get right, through this. All right, all right. 
And it begins, the call of a warrior prompts a man to confront the evils of his life. Ultimately, it forces a man to choose between two entirely distinct ways of living. At the heart of every vice, of every sin, is pride. A man can either live for his selfish pride, or he can make war on it. Sacrifice it. Count it loss. Which I think is an error there. It should be its loss. As a warrior does. And give himself for God and others. Um, and then he starts talking about Tom Wolfe. Weird. Weird. Who he's, he says was talking about modern society? Uh, Tom Wolfe died in 1938, so I don't exactly think that Tom Wolfe was writing about what was going on in modern society. Sure, some of his, ob his observations, probably accurate, but the whole point of it that Josh is getting to is people no, see no, stats. No, 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 I think he means uh, not that <coughs> Tom Wolfe. I think he means Bonfire of the Vanities Tom Wolfe. Okay, I thought he meant Tom Wolfe, like the beat, the inspiration of the beat generation Tom Wolfe. Uh... That's who I thought he meant. But again, no, because I they're... Think, I think he means uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, Tom Wolf. You know, that would make a lot more sense now yeah, that I yeah, think yeah. about it. That really would make a lot more sense. I can't believe I didn't think about that. Wow, I feel dumb now. Yep, uh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Note on this podcast, we do not always know what we're talking about. Also, I don't believe that Josh has read the Bonfire of the Vanities. Absolutely I do. not. I do, I do, I do. Really? It's, it's quite, uh, I think it's quite, uh, it's quite big in conservative circles. Is it? Yeah, I think so. But they should hate it. They, you know, sometimes they don't understand these things. I mm, really want to make Josh read Naked Lunch. This is what I want to do. Again, not a beat thing. <laughs> I know, but now that's what's in my Yeah, head. he's citing Tom Wolfe's lecture in 2006. That's <laughs> so definitely that, Tom Wolf. Okay, fine. I will admit I was wrong and wow. skip to the next page so we can move past it and forget about it. Uh, he brings up David Gilmore again, who is that anthropologist who I've told you about, who definitely did not agree with Josh. Uh, the guy who wrote about his, uh, how his theories bear on, you know, uh, um, Marxist thought, that kind of stuff. Uh, but Josh says this, which also goes along with something that I think we read earlier in this book, uh, or it was a source that Josh was citing that I think uh, th this, might, this might tell us something about what Josh thinks. He says, quote, The man who sacrifices his pride will take a lower-paying job to be with his aging parents who need him nearby. The man who sacrifices status honor will trade the company retreat and FaceTime with the boss for a weekend with his children. The man who mortifies his pride will admit he has a problem with alcohol and start tackling it, no matter how many social invitations it costs him. Which, A, all that is very weird. That is a very weird paragraph because, A, it generally, here's my impression, um, is not the Epicurean left who are telling people that they need to be working all the time no. and that's why they're not succeeding because they're not working hard enough the, generally i don't know could be wrong i don't know many epicureans so maybe that's why no. i don't have a frame of reference but also weird because uh, i i think i told you a couple chapters ago one of the guys who he had cited was like a danish or a um uh a finnish politician i think who was really really into the poor should just be happy with staying poor so that <laughs> Because so. they'll be much happier when they get to heaven. And I think there might be a strain of that coming through with Josh. The rich people, yeah, they can all enjoy their status. They're staying rich. But, you know, the poors, the poors need to be happy with being poor. And then he finishes off the subsection saying, <coughs> The Roman playwright Plautus said, He who dies by virtus 
manliness, nevertheless does not perish. The Bible says something better. He who sacrifices his self-love builds his soul and then the world into a temple. No citation there to any place in no, the Bible. No, no temple shit. Yeah, no fucking I have way. a feeling it's because the Bible doesn't actually say that. Okay, can we skip this Hong Kong bit? It's kind of boring. We can, so, yes, the, the next subsection is Love and Hope, and it's basically just a story of the time that Josh went to Hong Kong in 2019 during the uprising. Where, cool. notably, the protesters did not win, which is obviously bad, but... Yeah, and uh, he, boy, the way he ends that whole story, also the way he's talking about his time there and describing that like there was a car burning in the street. And it's weird how he can be in favor of maybe some uh, uh, some minor violence some accompanying civil protests disobedience, yeah. when he's in favor of the substance of the protests and then other times call it violence and mayhem and, and condemn it thoroughly because he's an asshole. But yes, <coughs> he ends it by telling us, that is the courage of hope, referring to these Hong Kong protesters. And even now, they go on hoping. After the events I witnessed, the Beijing authorities intensified the repression. They forcefully put down the protests. Many of the young people I met that October were later imprisoned or exiled. Yet their hope endures. And the light of that hope, M-dash, in the right, in God, M-dash, cannot be extinguished. I so don't Josh think that's what not, Hong Kong... Josh does not fucking understand what people were protesting for in Hong Kong. No. Um, certainly, most of those people, if they had any religion, would have been Buddhist of some kind, Confucianists, something Confucius, along those lines. Yeah. Uh, certainly, <laughs> most likely not uh, believers in the Christian God. And uh, boy, he's really just applying a label saying that they had hope in the right. Because I think he means literally the political right there is the way I read that sentence to be saying. That's what it looks like to me. It's, I think it's deliberately ambiguous. Yeah. But that brings us to the last subsection of the chapter titled The Possibility of Transformation. And oh, there's just really nothing interesting in this part. I really got to tell you, it's kind of boring. Yep. Um, he goes on a thing about how these two people who researched what they called super champion athletes, which I think immediately right off the bat should tell, give you some issues maybe with their scholarship if they're using terms like super champion athletes, also the fact that this study regarding what I would imagine is more of a sociological issue was published in the Journal of Athletic Training. Mm. Uh, I'm not exactly sure that these authors might be qualified to do what they're talking about here. But what these individuals, uh, Dave Collins and, okay, it, it, I think it's an Irish name and I don't know how to say it. Do you know how to say that? Ein McNamara? It's an uh, A, but it's got a squiggly above it. Sorry. 125. Second or third paragraph. Uh, I don't know how to say that. I think that. it's Anya. Anya? Okay. Anya yeah. McNamara. Uh, <coughs> apparently, what they learned from their research is that the most successful athletes had trauma and grew from it. How do they define trauma? I have no fucking clue. But according to Josh, quote, precisely opposite one, one might assume. Collins and McNamara found that the athletes who did not experience trauma were the ones who were impoverished. They missed opportunities to build the personal resilience and habits of mind vital to success in elite competition. I have some issues with that. Um, all of it. I have some issues with all of that. Because mm -hmm. that sounds like complete horseshit to me. Just top of my head, not even knowing anything about the subject matter, sounds like total horseshit to me. But... Josh brings it home, telling us that his career has been full of challenges mm, and controversies. Of has. Because, because he's a senator, 
and people criticize him. So people it's people are mean to him online, like us. We're mean to him online. <laughs> uh, but he ends the chapter by giving us a story, which I'm going to read in its entirety, and Benedict will sit there being hoity-toity about. Which is quote. Oh, dude, this is such a. This is just. This is literally for him to say, "I went to Oxford." Yeah, like, there's it is. no <laughs> other reason for this story. Okay, but he didn't go to Oxford. Okay, no, he did. Like he a, did a semester abroad. Which, yeah. <laughs> but he says, "Quote: We hated those motherfuckers." Is all I'm sure say. you did. Okay, is there? I I only know this because of a TikTok I ran across recently. There's one of the Oxford colleges that has like a drink that is fucking ridiculous. That is like 20 different things combined. I don't remember what the Probably. name of it was. I don't know. You, I, people, I are, you people are problems. Animals. Yeah, we're animals. But he says, quote, When I was a college student, I spent the fall of my junior year studying in Oxford, England. One of those semester abroad. Why is semester abroad in scare quotes? That doesn't make any sense. That's just what it's called. There's no yeah, need I'm for scare quotes there. Because you can't just do that unless you're on like a Rhodes Scholarship. Uh, well, he wasn't a Rhodes Scholar. We know that. Yeah, I don't... I, mm, I mean, he must have done it, but... I don't know. Uh, maybe let you me, can Let me Google it, it while you read it. Um, ba, ba, ba. It was my first time out of the country. I befriended while I was there an Anglican priest, whom I will call Martin. He was a big bluff fellow. Not buff, bluff. Probably in his mid-40s when I knew him. The son of a butcher. He used to take me on walks in the morning through the Oxford Market, where the butcher stands were located. I love the smell of meat and blood in the morning, he would say, which... That sounds like something someone like that would say, to be fair. I mean, maybe uh, something and something, uh, that movie where they were all fighting in old-timey New York. Gangs of New York, that's the one I was thinking of. Uh. It continues. One day on one of our rambles, also... Okay, college student who hangs out with a priest. Weird guy. Kind of weird. Fucking weird guy. Uh, on one of our rambles, he steered me toward Balliol College, a towering medieval structure in the Sorry heart of Sorry to be a dick. It's Balliol. <laughs> I, knew, <laughs> I knew you'd do that to me at some point. I knew it was going to happen. Because I knew as soon as I started reading this Oxford shit, I'm going to get one of these names wrong. Then it's going to be, oh, actually, sorry. It's pronounced cobblestones. We don't pronounce them cobblestones like you peasants out there in the United States. Cobblestones. You don't have cobblestones. Uh, I can't think of any place that does. But shut up. I'm trying to get through this. He brought me up uh, uh, short in front of the college's main gate near the intersection of Broad Street and Corn Market. That, you're not going to pronounce me? It's pronounced Cornmarque, is what it is. No, it's not. Uh, there, set in the pavement, is a cross of cobblestones, marking the site where two English priests were burned at the stake in the year 1555. Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were their names. They refused to recant their Protestant faith and submit to the religious dictates of the monarch. In consequence, they were bound and stood atop a pile of wood on October 16, 1555. And while a crowd looked on, set to flame. The last words the crowd heard came from Hugh Latimer to his friend Ridley as the flames mounted. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man, Latimer said. We shall this day light such a candle in England that by God's grace I trust shall never be put out. That's a pretty badass thing to say while you're being burned <laughs> alive. Talking about lighting candles. I mean, to be fair, like, I guess Protestantism did win over in England eventually. Yeah. Not sure about. they were the inspiration for it, but you know, fine. 
But the story ends uh, with Josh telling us, quote, Martin told me this story and stood there with me for a moment after, looking at the cross in the stones. Then he turned on his heel and walked away, saying over his shoulder as he went, he absolutely did not say this, that's what being a man is about. That is the character of a warrior. So, I don't know what the fuck Josh thinks the warrior character is. Because earlier he said it was about putting yourself between civilization and danger. But now it's just two guys who didn't want to be Catholic and died because of it. Do you know what does it mean? Do you know what's funny? It's actually three guys. He just laughed at one person out of the story. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> the, Dick the, move, John. The, the much more famous one as well, Thomas Cranmer, is, was also burnt there a year later. Um, and he just, he just left him out of the story, I guess, because it doesn't make for as good a story if it's a year later. But No. Oh, okay. Oh, he could have done that. The year doesn't matter. He no. could have just done that one if that's the famous one. It would have made more. What did he die for? Did he I mean, piss he in was, the queen's porridge? He was <laughs> he was the Archbishop of Canterbury and refused to grant Henry VIII's request to, like, divorce his wife. Basically. Okay, well, so, he kind of deserved it then. I mean, yeah. That, well, they didn't believe in transubstantiation, which is a stupid thing to die for. <laughs> that uh, is an incredibly stupid thing to die but, for. But, like, being like, hey, the rules of my church say you can't do that, and I'm the head of the church in England, that's a, <laughs> that's a badass thing to be burned at the stake for. Again, Josh continually picking the wrong stories yeah. to go with. It is a theme of this entire book. Him picking the wrong stories. Him doing fucking several chapters on Abraham, who just sucked. I don't know. I can't understand why Josh makes his decisions, and I won't pretend to know why. But, Benedict, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron. Sorry, little- can I correct myself? He was burnt by Mary, not Henry. He's a Protestant martyr, not a, not a Catholic martyr. My bad. Thank you for the correction, Benedict. That's uh, okay. I correct myself in the same show instead of having to be like, yeah, this week. I got something wrong. Let's be fair. It's because when I'm doing the edit, I listen to myself getting things wrong and recognize it at the moment. Yeah. Uh, become a patron. Rizzle is $1 an episode of patron-only episodes. Shoutouts on the show, early release of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Bradley Adams, Brian Smith, Sam Walsh, Dan L., Jamie Fritz, Teach Peace, Dr. Mildmillian, Landon Liam, Swin Womley, The Ghost of Larry Nichols, Jacob Johnson, Danny Rosari, pause for the eh, eh, eh. New Buildings are a Globalist Conspiracy, Bubbo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson Fetro, Tori and the Gallant, Shadow Princess vs. the Raptor Wolves, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S., The Tolsonator and his Lumps of Colsonator. Oh, Benedict, what art thou, bright spot? Hopefully being able to move my fucking neck again next tomorrow. <laughs> Flack Weasel, Sadie's Sister Wednesday, Kieran Dackler. Join us next week when our guest will arrive in studio by falling out of 737. Oh boy, that raised my flight anxiety when that happened. Kevin is a train-only guy. Someone who doesn't like to fly. Oh, the planes are just falling apart now. Great, great, great stuff. Henry Lewis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Gloria Scott, Clifton Stuckey, Pause, A Restless Native, A Baby, Wah, Veronica Forker, Melissa C., George Saulnier, A Wonk in Lux, No Luxembourg, Luxembourg, Stefan, Elon is a Rogue State, Utah Outcast, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Baca, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Jay Reynolds, Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick, Taro DeCannon, and Balls Waterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, 
Thank you for correcting yourself, Benedict. Goodbye. What I will say is the planes blowing apart is better. Goodbye. I'm no, I want to make a final point. Better than a couple of years ago when it was just like, oh, they do nose dives now and we can't <laughs> stop them. Goodbye. podcast is a production of kevin and benedict productions copyright 2020 all rights reserved music for this podcast is by silverman sound studios find out more at silvermansound.com